So, like Parker said, we're kicking off this series. We've been talking about it, just getting, I want you guys to be filled with anticipation for what's going to happen in this next seven weeks. We're, we're excited about this series. It's called Kingdom Living. And this morning's message is just an introduction to this series. Um, but just as a background, we just finished a series on Oxford Vineyard core values. So I, I, I encourage you to go back and listen to those. Get on the website, get on the podcast, listen to those things. But just to name off those core values for you guys one more time and their, their, kind of their taglines, we talked about culture of honor, putting authentic relationships first. We talked about teamwork, acting in one accord. We talked about empowerment, equipping every person for their destiny. We talked about kingdom vision, partnering with the activity of God. We talked about Holy Spirit direction, listening and responding to God's voice. And then stewardship, faithfully cultivating what we've been given. My wife did an amazing job last week with that message. So we're going to take the next month and a half to see how these values, how these things come into play in our everyday personal lives, okay? So these, these are connected. We didn't just like, here's the core values, that's separate, and then kingdom living, that's, that's its own thing. No, these things flow into every part of our lives. And so we want to keep these things in front of us as we talk about this in the next month and a half. Along with this series, we're going to be meeting together in host homes to do a six-week life group series. So we're going to do the Sunday morning messages, and then we're going to meet during the week to go even deeper into those things together. So just to, just to name those things off, they don't start this coming week. They start the next week. So we'll do relationships, that, first, that, message, that message, and then the life groups will start that week. Actually, that night, Sunday night, for one of the houses. So if you are a host, a leader in one of these houses, I want you guys to raise your hand, stand up. So Sunday nights, it'll be the Van Houtens, 7 p.m., awesome. Monday nights will be at our house, 2.42, woo, 7 p.m. Wednesday nights are going to be at the Richter's house, 7 p.m. Thursday nights are going to be at the Seller's house, 7 p.m., awesome. And then Monday nights, 7 p.m., we're going to have a Zoom meeting. Tim and Katie are going to be helping us facilitate that. So you can join online. If you, if you can't make it to a house, join online on Monday nights at 7 p.m. And you can find that address for the Zoom meeting online on our website, all the information. But we're going to have sign-ups out there after the service. So we would love for you guys, if you haven't signed up yet, join, find out which night works best for you, come and go on this journey together with us. But the fo- so the focus of these life groups, again, are get, they're going to be diving deeper together. Together, that's the whole point, right? Like we're going to do this together. And use kingdom lenses to examine the areas of stewardship in our lives, right? giving the how-to, the practical ways to live a life in abundance that's sustained by the life and power of Jesus. And then, hopefully, overflowing into others. Together, we'll be discovering what it means when Jesus says in John 10.10, I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. We're going to find that out together. So some of the big things we're going to go through and ask ourselves are the questions in these life groups. What would it look like if the lordship of Jesus was established in my relationships, what would it look like? Not to say it isn't already, but like, what does that look like? What does it look like for my finances? What does it look like in my work? What does it look like in every area of my life? And and then the other thing we're going to look at is, how is my life currently being transformed by the kingdom and its king? How is it being transformed? I encourage you to get into a life group If you haven't signed up yet, they're going to be out there. They're going to be awesome. It's going to be a time of growth and encouragement. So let's just break down what the topics are in this series. Today is the intro, the overall vision of this series. What we're going to be talking about is understanding the word kingdom and establishing the lordship of Jesus. We're going to talk about dualism a lot this morning. We're going to talk about becoming saturated in the source and the giver of life. And then we're going to share some challenges that we're going to go through um, in our life groups. Next week, we're going to talk about relationships, sowing and cultivating, um, generating tools for, for any and all kind of relationship types, getting a grace versus a punishment mindset versus a rewards kind of mindset, learning about forgiveness versus judgment, stepping into the goal of grace and connection together, listening to one another. Then we're going to talk about influence and favor, leadership, these kinds of things. How did Jesus lead? How can we start leading today and whatever we're doing? 
stewardship, leading yourself, pursuing growth, that kind of stuff. Then we're going to have a guest speaker, Phil Patton, is going to come in, and he's going to talk about kingdom finances. I'm really excited about that. We're going to talk about seeking the Holy Spirit's leading and direction in our finances, right? It's not our bank account. It's Jesus' bank account, right? We're going to talk about Ricardo's going to come and give a message on vocation, what that looks like for the kingdom and our jobs and the workplace and the marketplace and education and coaching, operating in our identity as sons and daughters in that place, right? Then Lynn's going to come up again and talk about a healthy lifestyle, kingdom lifestyle, looking at the physical, mental, spiritual exercises, diet, health, learning, development, stewardship of the body itself. And then Parker's going to talk about rest at the end and and wrap it all up there. It's going to be awesome. So, So just to prepare for this series, Parker, John, and I sat down. We recorded a podcast. John asked Parker and I some questions. We went through some of these ideas. So this is kind of like a co-piece to that. So we encourage you to listen to that podcast. Uh, Check that out. It should be up on our website or will be soon. And then somewhere in the middle of this series, we're going to do another podcast where Lynn, Sarah Beth, and Bree are going to sit down and talk about some things that we're not going to cover, some other topics that they're passionate about. And, you know, I'm really excited for that. But it's just things we're not going to be able to cover in this series. And so it's going to be really good. Look forward to that. But let's just dive in here. So what we're going to be talking about this morning is, is worldviews and seeking the kingdom. So kingdom living requires us to look at our lives from a different perspective, right? It requires us to look from a different perspective than how the world around us might look at it, right? How the culture defines how we should live, right? We've got to look at it from Jesus' perspective. In this series, we want to position ourselves towards a holistic viewpoint. That's what Parker was talking about, that whole part, you know? We want to have that holistic viewpoint on how we view life, how we live from the kingdom, from Jesus' viewpoint. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom and righteousness, right? This is a verse that we probably all have heard or we've memorized it, but how do we define the kingdom of God? I want to jump into that this morning. How does this definition apply to this series, Kingdom Living? Many of us, uh, especially in the Western world, have a, a kind of a wrong perspective or not quite the right perspective on what Jesus means when he uses the word kingdom. In our Western mindset, we tend to think of a kingdom just as a noun, right? A physical space of land um, where some form of king has a castle and his land is around there in, it, in, in that area. And, you know, that's what we think of when we think of a, a kingdom, right? So, like, some examples would be, like, the United Kingdom. And probably the word that in English was, we used that word kingdom because it was translated into English first, right? For, like it was, and that was the kingdom mindset that they had was this kingdom, right? Like, here's the king of England, and this is what we're talking about here. But there's, there's more to it than just that, right? We think of an example, the United States is a piece of land. Donald Trump has been called the, kingdom, the king of the United States. It's like a joke, right? You know, that kind of thing, um, maybe not if you, like, maybe some people mean that too seriously. That would be bad. Um, I think of like a, a Disney movie, right? Like a kingdom in a movie, like that kind of thing. But what Jesus is talking about when he uses the word kingdom, the Greek word that he's using there, is the, the mindset, the idea of what was happening as Rome was an empire, right? Rome was in Rome, right? There was a seat of power in Rome, but it stretched all across like the known world. Right? That, was, that was Rome. Rome had its, its authority over everything that it had conquered, like all these nations around it that had been conquered. And so this is the idea. When Jesus is using this kind of language, he's talking about this kind of thing. And so the kingdom, when we break down what the word, the Greek word means, it means the rule, reign, and authority of a king, right? More than just a physical piece of land. The rule, reign, and authority of a king. Royal power, kingship, dominion, rule. Not to be confused with an actual kingdom, but rather the right or authority to rule over a kingdom. Another thing it's talking about specifically is the royal power of Jesus as the triumphant Messiah. And the royal power and dignity that God gives us in his kingdom. So the examples, again, is the empire of Rome. But the way that, that this authority and rule went into place in Rome and in other places is 
when the, the person in charge, the, the, the ruler, would, would put forth his rule, put forth his law, whatever it was, a guy, a guy called a herald would run out to the, to the streets and every different colony or every different location all throughout the, the whole you know, empire. And they would say, as of right now, as I'm speaking this word, this law is going to affect. The kingdom is happening right now. It's, it's happening right now. As soon as that law is proclaimed, it goes into effect. And so that's what Jesus is thinking about. That's what he's talking about. And that's what the people understanding Jesus at that time would understand when they heard that, when they heard the word that he was using. So Jesus' Jesus's kingdom goes into effect when he proclaims it, when you proclaim it. It breaks in, it's close, it has come, it's continuing to advance, and it will come again, right? It's where the king is kinging, where Jesus is, where his authority is observed, where it's felt and enacted. We delve deeper into this um, in the School of Kingdom Ministry, so plug for that. We're talking about some of these things tonight. So come join us tonight, because it's, it's really good. Um, changed my whole perspective of this stuff. But we want to understand that idea of a kingdom is more than just a piece of land. We're talking about is the advancing authority of God in all areas of life. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew 5 and 6, Jesus is giving one of his most important teachings, the Sermon on the Mount. I highly recommend going back and reading through Matthew 5 and 6 as we go through this series because it's all about kingdom living, right? The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about kingdom living. Jesus has been talking about the inner workings here of his upside-down kingdom, what we call upside-down kingdom. He's been talking about loving your enemies, about blessing those who curse you, talking about how to navigate anger and broken relationships, about giving with pure motives, about fasting, about how to position, position our hearts when we're praying to our Father, right? Jesus is talking about how his kingdom works. So we're picking up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. So here's another nugget from the conference this weekend. Wendy Backlund reminded us that the Bible was given to us to begin to understand how this kingdom works. All of the Bible was given to us to understand how this kingdom works, right? About the king and how his kingdom works. And that kingdom is inside each and every one of us, right? It's in you and it's in me. And it interacts with life. So Matthew chapter 6, picking up in verse 19. This is the Passion Translation. Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves, material wealth that eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasure for yourself that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay, or lose their value. For, for your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. Read that again. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is, right? The eyes of your spirit allow revelation light to enter into your being. If your heart is unclouded, light floods in. But if your eyes are focused on money, the light cannot penetrate and darkness takes its place. So Jesus is talking about a worldview here, right? John, John talked about that a little bit. Uh, a couple weeks ago, he's talking about a worldview here. If we have a wrong worldview or a stronghold that's in our lives that's, that's blocking the way that we're seeing so we can't see the kingdom through the kingdom lens, see the things the way Jesus sees, we have this stronghold in our mind, the light of truth can't come in. Even when we hear it, we can't, we can't it might sound good, but we can't, it really can't come in. Jesus wants to break through those strongholds. How profound will the darkness within you be if the light of truth cannot enter? How could you worship two gods at the same time? You'll have to hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. And, and the word for the God of money is a name of a God in that time is mammon, 
was the, the God of money that, that Jesus was talking about here and the word that he uses. And how many of you guys know that there's still a God of money? Like mammon in some form is, is still around, especially in the United States, but all over the world, right? You'd be surprised what that really looks like and how that plays out. We're not going to go into that this morning, but I just, just to begin to think about that, what could that look like? What do we treasure? What is our heart pursuing? Right? Whose kingdom are we living in? Where, where's our mind at? Whose kingdom is our mind in? The world around us is focused on so many things, especially right now, right? But, but always power, money, and sex, right? Always those things. But influence, right? Rumors, conspiracy, especially right now. Jesus says that it's more important to keep the eyes of our hearts, that's our worldview, focused on his truth, right? Not on all the things that are barraging us every day, right? On his truth. Not what the little G gods of this world are trying to get us focused on. Listen, power, money, and sex, they're not bad things. They're not bad at all. They're things in our lives, things that we interact with, and they're, they're important things. They're good things. But the enemy knows how easy it is to get us distracted, to get us too focused on those things, right? Or lack of those things, especially, right? The enemy knows how to twist truth. He knows how to get us to try to take shortcuts when we have lack in these areas, right? He wants to get us to take shortcuts. Rumors and conspiracy are the opposite of wisdom and revelation. If you're giving your time to rumors and conspiracy, you are actually doing the opposite of wisdom and revelation. Come on. Okay? Don't give your time to rumors and conspiracy. Give your, your time to the Word. Give your time to Jesus. All right? So let me just take a break for a little bit here, and we'll come back to this stuff. So keep your Bibles open in Matthew 6, all right? But I want to talk about this for a little bit. The reality is this dualism, right, and the Lordship of Jesus the reality is when we come to Jesus as our king, when we call him Lord, when we call him God, we're, what it means is we're submitting to his rule and his reign and his authority, his royal power and dominion in every area of our lives, okay? In every area of our lives. Say every area of my life. Every area of my life. All right? Every area of your life. When we come to Jesus for the first time, you know, we say a prayer and maybe more than one prayer, you know, again and again, um, asking for forgiveness and for Jesus to save us from our sins and to come into our lives, right? That's a, you know, a typical come to Jesus prayer. And that's good. But I believe we need to begin to change our way of following up with those, you know, who say that prayer and who are born again, that born again experience by really diving into what it means to have Jesus become the Lord of their lives. And that's just called discipleship, Right? but we need to follow up better with that stuff. It's not just a prayer and, all right, you're good to go. Like, like let's, what does it mean for Jesus to become the Lord in every area of your life now? Humans, generally speaking, we, we break the things in our lives into compartments, right? Into different little boxes in our life. And if we're not careful, we, we say some categories are for God and some categories, you know, we're not thinking about it, but we just say, oh, you know, like we just keep that thing for ourselves, right? And the Holy Spirit wants to shine the light onto any compartment, into any area, and say, hey, I want to get into there. If he's not in there. If he's not the Lord of that, he wants to get into that area. He's asking, will you invite me into that place? You know, we, we do these different categories, relationships, friendships, bank account, work, school, activities, family, hobbies, meals, right? Even in this series, we've broken, broken up the weeks to different subjects, right? Different areas. Many times when people first come to Jesus, they tend to say those words in that prayer. And for the most part, they mean it, but they don't realize that making Jesus the king of their lives, it means it's more than just that prayer. You know, it's, not, it's just not just an add-on. It's not just an addition to the life they're already living, right? Christianity, becoming born again, isn't an add-on to our lives, it's a completely different way of life. It's, it's putting away the old way of doing life and becoming a brand new creation and learning how to live in a brand new way. 
When we make Jesus the king of our lives, it means we're no longer living like we did before. And it might look really weird to the people around us <laughs> if they're not saved, right? If they don't have that kingdom vision. When we come into the kingdom, we aren't just visiting, right? It becomes our place of residence and it resides within us. It's, it, it, its essence goes into everything that we touch, into everything that we do. Kingdom living means that there's no area of our lives where Jesus isn't allowed access to, okay? No area of our lives where his love and power isn't going to flow through. Something we as believers do in our lives, consciously or subconsciously, is that we tend to separate even our spiritual lives from our natural lives. This is called dualism. Parker talked about this a couple weeks ago and a little bit touched upon it this morning. Dualism is the idea that all of life can be separated into two main categories, the sacred and the secular. The holy and the unholy, right? This fragmented vision of reality puts spiritual things in the sacred category and worldly things in the secular category. This view creates a hierarchy of where, you know, the only meaningful things in existence are those things in the sacred category. Those are the only meaningful things, you know, in dualism when we think about that way, we have that worldview. I don't have time to unpack it all today, but in, you know, before the fall in Genesis, every aspect of the spiritual and the natural were joined. Every aspect were joined before the fall. And it was good. <laughs> it was good. And the enemy hijacked that, and so a dualistic view came into play as the people of Israel were called apart out of that broken reality now. They were called apart from that, and so we see this dualism start to begin to happen, right? The sacred and the, and the, and the, the regular, the, the secular, the holy and the unholy. That begins to happen as God calls the people of Israel out of that. If we stay in the Old Testament, we stay in that way of thinking, we don't realize that Jesus came and called the people of Israel out so that he could repair the whole thing. His idea wasn't to say, all right, this is holy and this is unholy. It was, I'm going to call them out so that I can begin to repair all of this earth because I want it to be whole again. And so when Jesus comes, he's, he's beginning to, to bring his kingdom, he's beginning to bring that, that whole back together. And we see that in him, himself, right? The full picture of God and man. What seems to be pitted against each other Jesus now has, has taken over and he's, he's rewriting what the people of that time and what we know. If you, if you read Matthew 6, especially those verses that we read with a dualistic view, you would read that as Jesus condemning earthly things, right? But Jesus isn't condemning those things. He's addressing worry in, that, in those verses. That's what he's addressing. He's addressing worry. He's addressing those who have been so consumed with the enemy's plans for things, they're not even, even able to see. They're blind. They're not able to see or feel the spiritual world breaking in, the breaking in of the kingdom. Jesus is trying to get them to see what he's doing and look at where their hearts are, what their hearts are pursuing. Just a couple of illustrations on this, kind of to get, understand this dualism. How many of you guys ever, have ever heard somebody or said yourself, you know, this life sucks, I can't wait to be out of here, <laughs> right? Like, I can't wait to go to heaven, right? Like, how many of you, I've felt that before, right? But that's actually a wrong view, <laughs> right? When Paul says, you know, to, to live as Christ, to die as gain, he's not saying, I don't want to be here, He's not devaluing here. He's just saying, I cherish what's to come. I cherish that, that relationship with Jesus in that way that's to come. I, I, I'm looking so forward to that. But that doesn't mean that he wants to peace out. You know, he doesn't mean like he's going to just be done with life because he knows that God has something here and the Lord's doing something here and now, right? When Jesus says, it's better that I leave, that the Holy Spirit would come, it's, he's restoring that whole thing. He's restoring that whole part. Another way to think about this is 
if we think about the word worship, right? Worship. If you think about the word worship and the first thing that comes to you is a song that you sing, you might have a dualistic viewpoint. Because worship, those are worship songs, but our whole lives are worship, right? Everything we do is worship. If we don't have a frame f- framework for worship, if we don't have a framework that the, the kingdom wants to go into every part of life, then we'll have the split vision of life. One that separates spiritual things, right? From non-spiritual things. Um, with like, think about work, music, eating, learning, driving, walking, observing. The Lord wants to do these things with us. It's not a separate thing. We're learning how to do this in, in a different way. He's bringing this into a whole, a whole picture. The truth is that we're integrated beings. We're spirit and flesh. For us, there's no separation between the natural and the spiritual. There's not supposed to be. We're just learning how to recognize how they interact with one another. That's what we're learning to do, is learning how to realize how they, they interact with one another. Cutting up reality in life will eventually lead to one side ruling over the other. And it may not be the side you want, <laughs> you know? It may not be the side you're prizing. Dualism can lead to a hierarchy of callings. If you think about this, think about some jobs, right, are more holy than others, right? If you ask somebody, like, what, what's the highest calling in life, they might answer, oh, to be a missionary in some third world country, right? That, that's the highest calling, you know? Like, no, that's awesome. But being you and what God's called you to do is the highest calling for your life. This prize of the spiritual callings over other allegedly non-spiritual callings is the result of dualism. The bottom line with dualism is this. Dualism falsely believes that some subjects are inconsequential and not part of the Christian life. Dualism says that there are some spheres of life where faith is off limits, right? But that's not true. This fragmented vision of reality is not biblical, and it makes being salt and light to the rest of the world actually impossible. I don't have time to dive into all that this morning. But let's break some of these dichotomies down um, if we pull up these charts here. So a dualistic view of reality, or, yeah, this is a metaphysical dualism. So it's a dualistic view of reality. If you got it there, maybe. This view makes heaven important and the earth rather unimportant. You know, heaven is the true light, and the earth is just a shadow of sorts. The problem that results with this kind of dualism is a morbid obsession with all things that are otherworldly or spiritual. We get too spiritual, you know what I mean? And, and because, of, because this world is seen, seen more or less as garbage, then everything bad you know, you know, that's happening must be a demon in my life. <laughs> that's, that's, over, that's over-spiritualizing what's happening here. This describes how many Christians see and other religions see this reality. Anthropological dualism is a dualistic view of the composition of man. This dichotomy is more than just a duality in its own right that should be acknowledged. It's the view of man is composed of two separate substances, one being temporal bad and one being an eternal good part. These substances are usually called the flesh or the body and the soul and the spirit, respectively. The problem is with this duality is that it has a master-slave relationship, right? In which the, the body, the flesh, is a rebellious slave of the soul and must be ruled over, right? We gotta beat that, that sin, whatever it is in our lives, that addiction, whatever, that thing that keeps coming, we gotta rule over, we gotta beat it down, you know? And it's, it's still rebellious, so we gotta... We gotta Shove it down. The problem with this, the problem with trying to beat sin and working hard, you know, becomes working hard to become holy. But Jesus has already made us holy. He's made us different. And he's teaching us how not to sin anymore. He's not trying to beat it down. He's already killed it. Separating life into two opposing camps also tends to foster a faith works dichotomy. I got to do these works to be better, you know what I mean? To be what I, what I need, my identity from these works. 
Religious dualism is this view that regulates faith to a small corner in life. It treats faith as something private, as something um, you know, that, that doesn't have to do with the rest of majority of life, daily life. For this dualist, faith is just one of many containers of life. Um, this religious dualism reduces the Christian faith to just a classical religion. What's good for me is good for me. What's good for you is good for you. We'll co-abide and that's, that's good, you know. This is pure non-integration of the Christian faith. And if you view your faith as just one slice of life, one slice of life's pie, even if it's a good one, you're a Christian dualist. Sorry. So let's take our lens off dualism, our lenses of dualism off, and let's look with kingdom vision. So this is a holistic, a kingdom view. Kingdom view of reality, metaphysical holism. Well, before that, true kingdom living refuses to prioritize one part over another. You know that? Holism, kingdom living, is recognizing the profound singularity of persons, reality, and life. They're together. So Christian metaphysical holism, that's one word, uh, string of words. Metaphysically speaking, we're living in one reality, right? This view acknowledges the duality between heaven and earth, but it fails to say one is better than the other, ultimately, right? Because they're supposed to be one. They're supposed to be one. Heaven is, is, is important, and earth is just as important, Okay? God created heaven to be able to begin to relate to the earth. That's why he created heaven first, so he could relate to the earth, a place to be able to relate to the earth. Jesus prays, Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? These things happened together. It's one one part. <laughs> it's, it's a whole, but it's two parts, and they they. They overlap into one another. That's why Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. All right? So moving on, the Christian anthropo- anthropological holism. This is the view that men, or that man should be seen, mankind should be seen as differently, different to totality. Oh, sorry. What this asserts is that man should not be so viciously separated into two opposing substances, one which is important and redeemable and one that is useless or lost. This holism preserves and recognizes man as one cohesive whole. The whole man has been recreated by Jesus when we come into Jesus, and the whole of humanity is in the process of being redeemed. Jesus is in the process of redeeming all of humanity. describes how Jesus views the composition of man. Every part is being sanctified and moving from maturity, moving into maturity, moving from glory to glory, right? As Paul says. This describes how a Christian, oh, sorry, the next one is religious holism. This describes how a Christian, how we use our faith, how it comes into play in our lives. This viewpoint stresses that life should be understood as one unified whole rather than a series of containers or buckets. This means that faith will have a hand in everything, that the kingdom plays out in every sphere. It's not a private affair regulated to some minuscule corner of life. The the sacred, the secular split is thrown out because all of life is sacred. Do you understand that? All of life is sacred. Our relationship with Jesus should not be seen as one piece of life, but the way of life, right? In every area. You only have one life, and who you are doesn't change from one context, one realm to the other. Because there's only one context, life. We've already died, so we're going to live. This body might die, but we're going to continue to live, right? And this body's going to be resurrected. It's the same body, okay? We're not going away with this body. Jesus came back in a resurrected body. It was still the same body. It looked totally different, but it was the same body. And he continues in that same body. 
He's going to come back in that same body. So let's go back to Matthew 6, all the way back, and pick up from verse 25 with this kingdom perspective now. So let's, re- let's read this part with this perspective. This is why I tell you, this is why I tell you, never be worried about your life. For all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Isn't there more to your life than just a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? Look at all the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food. Yet your heavenly Father provides for them each with food. Aren't you much more value, valuable to your Father than they are? So which one of you, by worrying, could add anything to your life? And why would you worry about your clothing? Look at all the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work to toil. And yet, not even Solomon, all of his splendor was robed in beauty more than one of these. So if God has clothed the meadow with hay, which is here for such a short time and then dried up and burned, won't he provide for you the clothes you need? And even, though you, even though you live with such little faith, Pharisees. <laughs> right? So then forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we, what will we wear? Why are you making up hundreds of laws about these things? You know? For that's what the unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly Father already know the things your body requires? The Father whose spirit already knows what your physical body requires? So above all, constantly chase after the, the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly because Abba loves to give them to you. Not because he hates them. He's not against them. He loves to give them to you, but seek the kingdom first. So then you can, when you receive these things, you know what to do with them. You know? And you're not worrying about them because you know he wants to give it to you. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, with, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. When you have a kingdom view, when you live a kingdom life, you're not going to be worried because it's already laid out for you. Right? So even when tough decisions happen, you say, all right, what's the kingdom say about this? How do I live, live that out? And sometimes it just gives you the option to live it out, and that's the kingdom way because the kingdom is in you. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Jesus is giving us his worldview on how to live in the kingdom day to day. In all circumstances, when our worldview is aligned with Christ, our lives begin to align with that truth, with his truth, and his way of doing things. And we receive every good thing that the Father wants to give to us. We don't need to be consumed with worry or fear of what will happen in our lives. We need to know that, right? Because the world is consumed with fear right now. It's consumed with fear right now. Who's going to be the next president? We're consumed with fear. Is it going to be the current president? Is it going to be a different president? We're consumed with fear. It doesn't matter. Jesus is still king no matter who's president, okay? Jesus is still king, Okay? So don't lose heart if your candidate doesn't win, okay? Jesus is still king, and he's still going to interact with whatever it is. And we're going to still pray for that person, right? We're still going to intercede for them every day. Because Jesus loves them, whoever it is. We don't look to that person. We look to the king, our king. We don't need to be consumed with worry or fear. So I'm going to skip over this next part, but maybe if you put, up, put it up, they can see it there. There's four major areas of life um, that I wanted to focus on, but we just don't have time. Worship, education, work, and culture. That, that stuff kind of speaks for itself. Just look at that. We can talk about it some other time. But we will throughout this series. There's a lot more that goes into these categories, but I was just breaking up what it looks like for worship as a dualist and what it looks like in the kingdom, what it looks like for education the dualism and then the kingdom, what it looks like for work and culture in these areas. But dualism, that split vision of reality in life, it's actually not biblical, okay? It's not biblical. As, as New Testament, New Covenant believers, it's not biblical for us to live with a dualistic mindset. In fact, holding on to that is sinning, okay? So whatever we drink, whatever 
we eat, whatever, where we go to school, or we work from home, or we work wherever, whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God, okay? Do it all for the glory of God. In every realm of life, all has fallen, but all is being redeemed, and it's being redeemed through you guys. It's being redeemed through me. Jesus has chosen us to redeem life. Jesus did it. He started it, but he's given it to us to begin to redeem all of the things around us. And we do it just like him, by serving, by going low in humility, by showing a different way of living, an upside-down kingdom. Wherever you go, holiness goes with you because he calls you holy, okay? Don't call what he's called holy unholy, all right? He's called you holy. So live as holy, as you're holy. And here's the thing. You know, we're, we're talking about a, a lot of important things in this series. And for some of us, it might be hard for us to look at it. It might be an area that we haven't stewarded well. We haven't received the kingdom lens. We haven't, be, we haven't lived that kingdom way yet. And, and I'm just telling you guys, let's just make a deal right now, okay? Um, in the areas that we haven't stewarded well, if we haven't got this yet, let's just say as of right now, Clean slate, okay? Let's make a deal right now. Clean slate on that stuff. That doesn't mean that you might not have to go clean some stuff up, okay? The Lord might have you go back and clean some stuff up, okay? But we're not going to live in any shame or condemnation, okay? If we see something that, that hasn't been aligned yet with Jesus. What we're going to do is we're going to take that thing to Jesus, and we're going to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life in this specific area. Because I've seen, I haven't put this in subject to you. I haven't put this in submission to you yet. And so I want to put it into submission to you now. Give me your way of living, okay? Upgrade us in truth. He wants to upgrade us in truth. And it's okay to ask the Holy Spirit for help. He's the helper. That's what he's here for. We don't have to figure it all out. He, he guides us. He shows us how to live it out. We're not defined by our mess-ups anymore. We're not defined by failures anymore. He isn't beating us over the head. He's here to help us. He sent his spirit to help us. When we're truly embracing kingdom living, we're no longer afraid of messing up, right? We're no longer afraid of messing up. We're confident that Jesus is leading and helping us. By the spirit, we have the full favor of the Father upon us. We don't need to earn it, right? We receive it and we just be sons and daughters. We just be sons and daughters. We know he's at work. We know he's teaching us. So we see an area that the, in the past where the enemy would use that thing to incapacitate us, to stop us. We can now get excited because Jesus wants to upgrade us there. Right? We want to become saturated in the giver of life. This is how we're upgraded. It's not by doing something perfectly. It's by becoming saturated in the presence of God. To get a kingdom perspective, we have to be saturated in the kingdom of God. We have to be saturated. We have to be saturated in it. We have to spend time face to face with the king. Not face to face with all the things that try to distract us. Face to face with the king. And the beautiful thing is we don't have to have the right viewpoint to hang out with him. <laughs> right? He, he's inviting us. He's saying, come to the table and eventually I'll give you the right viewpoint. But just come be with me. Just come hang out with me. Just come spend time with me. Don't have to get it right before we hang out. Come hang out with me. He desires to be with us and he's transforming us from the inside out. The reason for the dualistic view is because there are two kingdoms in conflict, right? There's two kingdoms in conflict. The biggest battlefield is in our minds. That's why Paul says, renew our minds. Surrender mindsets. Surrender emotions that might not be aligned with truth. Surrender those things to the Lord. Take thoughts captive, right? Surrender our preferences to God. Surrender our pain to Jesus. Allow him to bring healing, restoration to those things. All right, Sarah Beth, you want to come up? Come up? Sarah Beth's going to come up just to finish this and talk about 
some challenges that we're going to have in our life groups. And then we're going to go into ministry time and then worship. Okay. Hi, guys. Um, I am very excited about Kingdom Living. Before we just kind of like dive into the 21 day challenges, I just wanted to, to let you know like this has been very much on our staff's heart and we're really excited to share with you. It's, it really came out of like the core value of stewardship and so it's something that we're really passionate about and we have worked very hard on creating the curriculum and um, the teaching team has worked hard on organizing things and um, bringing in guest speakers and organizing life groups. And so, like, we put a lot into this because we really, really believe in it. And we actually believe, like, it can look superficial from, um, from like, just looking at the topics. It can look like it would be an easy thing to just play church and meet together and talk about, like, God and finances and God and our vocation and things like that. But when we really take a step um, into it and we're really honest and like brutally honest with each other and with ourselves um, and like what Josh said when we come at it from like a sl clean slate with like no condemnation of where we're at in those things but actually wanting to steward it these are the things that like will actually change our lives these are the things that will actually um, because the idea behind stewardship is that when we do something with the little things it becomes um, it, God uses those for, for big things in our lives. And so it's really important to us. And so that's why we're, we're really excited about this um, life, life, life group series. And so one of the things about that is our 21-day challenges. So this is actually going to be about 42, if I do the math, <laughs> 42 days in total. It's um, basically perfectly uh, six weeks. And so we're gonna do two 21-day challenges. And because we are practically focusing on steps and habits and rhythms that we create in our lives to steward what the Lord has given us better, what we're doing is creating challenges where we're gonna set measurable goals with our life groups and hold each other accountable to those challenges. And we are just doing two, and we really want to focus on, like, it doesn't have to be something super specific, but we want to focus on one of the kind of um, topics for the first three weeks and then the second three weeks. So when you, you guys are going to get a little bit more into this and you're going to be able to make your challenges and talk about what looks good for you, what feels measurable, what feels attainable. Um, and like Josh said, there's no condemnation. So this is literally just like first steps to creating habits and rhythms in our life that will um, allow for the Lord to use those areas um, for greater things and for his kingdom. And just giving him lordship, like Josh said. But um, the first challenge is going to be on our first, on either, like you pick one of the first three topics that we're doing. So that's gonna be relationship, influence, and finances. And so um, just examples for those would be like, for example, you, so you pick one of these and then you create with your, with your life group hopefully so that you can get some feedback, but you create basically the, um, a measurable goal for one of those things. So say I wanna do influence. So one of, an example of something that we came up with was intentionally finding like three acts of service a week to do for those people in your life that have influence over you. Um, or that you would have influence over. So that is a measurable goal. You do three thing, acts of service, and I would do that three a week for 21 days, which would be three weeks. So something like that is a measurable goal, and there's actually gonna be a place where when you guys get your journals for the life group, you're gonna be able to write that down in your journal so you can keep being reminded of it. Um, for finances, it would be like save or give this much money every week or only go out to dinner once a week for 21 days. Like something really easy, really practical about that, but very catered to you. We want you guys to come up with your own because it's really hard to like come up with a generic one for everyone, especially in these kinds of areas. For the second challenge, it will be you pick between vocation, health, or rest. And so examples of something like that would be like for health. Let's say I, I commit to exercising three times a week and you know what exercise looks like to you and you can make a more specific goal. Maybe it's walking, maybe it's running, something like that. Um, for vocation, maybe it would be like um, sit down and invite the Holy Spirit 
um, every day before you enter your workspace or before you go to work, invite the Holy Spirit into that time for 21 days. So that's really our heart behind it. We really want to take this seriously because coincidentally, 21 days is like technically what people say, how long it takes to build a habit. So we want to start creating rhythms in our lives that are um, really just stewarding these areas well. So that's our idea for that, and we're really excited. We wanted to present it to you today so that you guys can go ahead and start thinking. Our life groups actually start after, our, because this is the intro series, our life groups start after next week's message. So like the Van Houten's first life group will be next Sunday night, and then the following begin. So just wanted to remind you guys of that. But we're gonna go ahead and move into some ministry time. And I just wanna, invite the Lord here. He's obviously always already here, but I think one of the biggest things about what Josh said was this idea of lordship. I think that's when something goes from superficially just looking at these areas of your life to actually deeply um, surrendering them to God, right, is when we is when we think about lordship. And so I just want to ask the Lord right now, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we just, we want to, we just want to be in your presence. Can everyone stand up for me, if that's okay? Usually we do this after worship, so everyone's already standing, but... Holy Spirit, we just, we thank you for the gifts that you've been given. One of the things that Lynn said about like it steps into stewardship, and this is really all about stewardship, this new Kingdom Living series, was thankfulness. Being thankful that we're given relationships, being thankful for areas of influence, being thankful for the finances and the money we've been given by the Lord. So I just want to come and like posture ourselves in thankfulness for the Lord.